Sit down. Put your headphones. Are you through eating? Just, just bring the food. Come on. Sit down. Mm. What am I gonna do with him, Greg? Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't know what you're doing with him so far, so I can't answer that. Not, no, <laughs> nothing of that. My God, no. <laughs> 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 well, at least at least y'all are really good friends. Generic. Sometimes you need a good friend. Um, yeah. He's generic underwear model black guy. Generic light skinned underwear <laughs> model black, black guy. guy. What? Wait, wait, who is Christian Keys? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I like I can go down. I can go down to Kroger and find one like that. Sure, fuck can. Like he's like <laughs> y'all in Atlanta. Are you kidding me right now? I mean, Greg. <laughs> Greg, you seen a picture of him? Atlanta, of course you can find that there. <laughs> Greg, have you seen a picture of him? Yeah, he's yeah. So he, he's well familiar with uh, like unlike you, Greg watches black programs. Okay, uh, that's okay. That's good for Greg. I actually think I'm not hundred percent sure. Maybe I need to look it up. I think he was in Donald Welch's movie. Who's Donald yeah, Welch? And Donald that? Welch is a play is a play, a playwright in LA. One of these um, Negro he probably was. He's a playwright. Oh, I don't know. The soul, the soul cafe. That's it. The, the soul, soul cafe. cafe. Um, and I think he was in that. But uh, Donald Welch knows Will Smith. He's like worked with him. He used to write for the, the Lost Fresh Souls Taylor. Cafe TV movie, two thousand seventeen. Christian Keys, Loretta Devine. Yeah, that's it. I thought that was him. <laughs> okay, I'm like, yeah, he was in that. Lord Jesus. This guy yeah, is... it was like a little, you know, low right. thing. But, right. you know. Let me start this show this over. He's literally every, like, dime a dozen light-skinned black actor slash... He's not bad looking, but it's just kind of, <laughs> like... But there's nothing... Um, to me, that's that's popping off as like, like I'm gonna forget him in the next five minutes. I literally am. Okay. Mm. Jan. All right. <laughs> did you just say okay, Jan? <laughs> he sure did. I'm trying to restart the show. I'm recording it backwards. Y'all are not cooperating. Sorry. <laughs> Why is it that every time I bring up my favorite movie or song, y'all call my shit corny? You act like I don't have no taste and no flavor. I'm a Luddite or some bullshit like that. What kind of particular shit is that? It's the shit I like. That's what I like. That's my type of shit. You know? Why don't you know y'all just say something nice? Showtime. Welcome to the Say Something Nice podcast. Film, TV, and music news, discussions, and reviews from a multicultural point of view. In addition to our Say Something Nice challenge, in which we challenge each other to say something nice about the best and worst in pop culture. Be sure to check us out at SSNpodcast.com and on all social media under the handle at SSNpodcast. Our show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, TuneIn, and wherever else great podcasts can be found. Please rate us five stars on iTunes and Stitcher so that more people can find our show. Thanks, and here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Brandon. 
And this is the Definitely Not Recorded Backwards episode of the Say Something Nice podcast. Where we are totally not pretending that we're doing this in, in reverse. And where Ali still sounds far away. Because he's also because he's he's whispering. Oh, I'm not whispering. Like I, Janet Jackson. Oh, ju- like, ju- two, like 2019 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, fame inductee Janet Jackson. All right, good night, Greg. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. Let me get my shoes. Let me get my stuff. Wow. But yeah, so what we are here today to do, and Greg is going to hang out. He doesn't have to have seen the movie. I can spoil it out for. Him. I actually think you should see it, but I don't mind spoiling it for you. Uh, we're going to talk about. Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins Returns. Um, in part because they're sort of kind of the same basic plot, which is fine. But so, well, Mary Poppins Returns, of course, is, as we record, is currently in theaters after a little bit of a scary situation. It's actually making money, finally. Good for it. A, it is a sequel remaking Um... It's what they call a requel, really. Where is a What's remake? A and it's, it's a remake and a sequel at the same time. Like <clears throat> the best example of Star Wars: The Force Awakens, where it's a sequel to the original Star Wars films, but it's a remake of Star Wars Episode Four. Uh, that's you know, that's really here's the deal. You are when you say it like that, you are. You are call, giving I, inaccurate information to the people who are who are not familiar with Star Wars. All right, so. What you should say is that it is it is in fact a sequel to the previous Star Wars movies. However, the events that happen in this movie um, very very closely resemble events from a past Star Wars movie. Right. So it okay. feels like it's it feels like a reboot. Uh, yeah, that's how Mary Poppins returns us. It is a sequel to the original 1964 Walt Disney production of Mary Poppins, but the events of the film are designed on purpose to line up with the events of the previous film. They are different events, but it's sort of kind of like the, like, it's like, uh, like, if you could, like, types, I guess you could say. They switch one event of the same type out for another. So what we're going to do is sort of kind of give our thoughts on um, the movies and sort of kind of do a little bit of a history dive into Mary Poppins. Not a deep one, but just enough to sort of kind of discuss because... Well, first, because the thing is, the reason why. So I saw Mary Poppins Returns um, the weekend it came out, Sunday morning, at the movie tavern with my chicken and waffles. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They sell chicken and waffles at the movie tavern? Yes, they do. Uh, I am for the um, brunch on weekends in the mornings before 2 p.m. Okay. Shameless plug. Um, And... I had read the reviews were generally positive, saying that it was familiar but nice. So I went and like, I was like, okay, so this would be nice or whatever. Greg, by the end of the movie, I had tears, like big, gigantic cartoon tears streaming down my face. Why? The movie was so joyous, uplifting, and just like, and the thing is, it's like it starts out bleak because it's set during the Great Depression. Okay. And London already is already foggy as fuck anyway. But it's London during the Great Depression. London is Gotham City. Pretty much. <laughs> um, and Mary Poppins comes, basically, her job is to show people 
even though this, you know, this is how life is, show people the better sides of what life can be like. How to deal with bad situations, with like loss of loved ones, with you know, loss, potential loss of like possessions and homes and things like that. And to teach these kids in this movie that it's okay to be a kid and have fun. I'm sort of kind of jumping way ahead because that's sort of kind of going deep into the plot. But just in general, especially like the last, like it was, it was what I needed, I guess, at the time because I had a really stressful 2018. It was like probably one of the worst years of my adult life. And um, the holiday season was not particularly much better because I was working every day. And just, I sort of kind of, I what they were providing, I really needed. And just, I was telling everybody I knew, this movie is so good. I cried tears. My big ass cried all these tears. It was so joyous and just happy and stuff. And just, it turned terrible things into good things. And just, I couldn't believe they actually would allow people to make a movie like this in Hollywood in 2018. Because everything's cynical and snarky and stuff. And I told Ali, Ali, we have to, you have to see this movie. And now Ali used to watch the original Mary Poppins with his mom. And he's seen it probably more times than I have because they probably showed it on Disney Channel. All the time. Which is surprising because Mary Poppins is just about three minutes short of original sin. It's a long fucking movie, the original version. Is it? Yeah, it's like two and a half hours. This one's like 250, 210, this, this new version. Okay. And so I... Took Ali to go see Mary Poppins Returns it's for a second time. I'm in the chair crying again. He is in the other chair looking like um, just like like a meme of like the children in the Arrow Gang on the um in the first day of school, just hand in hand, head in hand, bored out of his fucking mind. <laughs> wow. So like I would give this movie as my score a B plus. Ali, what is your score for Mary Poppins Returns? I, I, Be honest. <laughs> It's it's definitely not a, it's, it's not a bad movie at all. Um, I'd give it a B, but m- my whole thing is it's I'm just not that kid anymore. What 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 right. was your enjoyment score for it? And oh no, my enjoyment score is low. Like <laughs> I mean, how are you rating enjoyment? Like give it a give it, give it a letter grade of intimate value to Ali. Oh um C. Yeah. For me, it was it was like when Ralphie's teacher does A plus 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 on the blackboard in the Christmas story. <laughs> yeah, I I was just uh, <sighs> there's some like the I don't know I feel like as if the magic maybe I'm just have I grown bitter as I've gotten older perhaps <laughs> perhaps because highly possible yeah I, I've I think it might be I've just grown bitter and I've just grown. Rather, um, very hard to please. <laughs> and so, when I watched this movie, the first song that 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 um, one of the characters sings, Lin Manuel Miranda sings as Jack the Lamplighter, is a depressing song about <laughs> about. It's not a depressing song. Okay, fine. So it's supposed the song to be is ob- about how the depression is terrible, but there's but always a bright side. a bright side to yeah. everything. Okay. And he's riding around London, turning the lights down because it's dawn is coming. And he's basically singing about how, you know, and you see people in like bread lines and stuff, and people are poor and they're hungry and stuff, but he's finding like a way to keep smiling as he's riding about doing it. Right. 
And, um, compare, and one big thing about this new version of Mary Poppins, they actually shot it in fucking London. It's not shot in California on the Dis- Walt Disney inside of Walt Disney Studios. <laughs> they shot it. They, they he actually drives past, rides past on his bike, rides past um, Buckingham Palace and Big Ben and stuff, and he's actually there. Right. So <laughs> yeah, it's it just to me it sets a like. So here's the thing. Here's the thing, Greg. Like you. <laughs> Brandon and I disagreed upon this. And it's like, I asked Brandon, Brandon, would you bring your kid to this movie? I would bring my 10-year-old, not my, not any, not my eight-year-old or younger. Because I... What's the difference? The difference basically being that... So this new version... Well, I need to do the history a little bit quick. Like, because like, the new version is closer to the Mary Poppins books than it is to Walt Disney's movie that he made. In oh. that... They it depends a lot upon sort of kind of showing the good and bad situations and a lot of work like complex wordplay, especially in the songs, compared to Disney's version. So Mary Poppins was originally a book. One for first, it was just one book written by P.L. Travers in 1934. P.L. Travers was an interesting woman. She was a British woman who was a bisexual, open bisexual, and also a Buddhist. She wrote the Mary Poppins books based upon a nanny she had when she was, I think an aunt, actually, who came into her life when her father fell ill and then eventually died. Okay. And so she wrote she wrote these books sort of kind of like about this magical nanny who, while still being a proper British nanny and being very stern and sort of kind of, you know, snarky and, you know, shady in, a, in like a way, would take the kids on these fun yet educational trips across space and time, sort of kind of just by whatever strange magic that she had, to sort of kind of teach them how to see, no, no matter how bad life was, how to deal with it, how to deal with adults who were terrible to them, how to deal with loss and things like that. They were like very serious subjects that she would cover, but like, in a way that was sort of kind of like had like a bit of whimsical a whimsical touch to it. Okay. And so she ended up writing before the original movie comes out, she ended up writing three books. They were Mary Poppins Mary Poppins in 1934, Mary Poppins comes back in 35, and Mary Poppins opens the door in 1943. The Mary Poppins books were favorites of one of Walt Disney's daughters, I forget which one. If it was Sharon or Diane, I'm gonna see if I can find that right quick. But what happened is that in 1938, Walt Disney reached out to figure out how much it would cost to adapt Mary Poppins into a movie. Mm-hmm. At this time, he was only doing animated projects because this is when Snow White had first come out. He knew nothing but Snow White as a feature and a bunch of Mickey Mouse cartoons and Silly Stephanie's cartoons. I guess both daughters liked them, both Sharon and Diane Disney. And P.L. Travers turned him down. Because P.L. Travers didn't want Mary Poppins to be an animated character. And he didn't, she didn't want it to have songs. And... So who who was the deciding factor on that? Was it Walt Disney? So what happened is that Walt Disney would keep reaching out over the space of the next 20 years. 
consistently asking, mm. could he require the rights to Mary Poppins? And she would keep saying no. Eventually in 61, like, it came to where, you know, the books aren't selling that much anymore. And she's sort of kind of like, it might be nice to have a little bit more of an income coming in. So she goes to Disney's studio, and this is all dramatized. And I emphasize dramatized because that movie's a work of fiction. In the movie uh, Saving Mr. Banks that came out a couple of years ago starring Tom Hanks. Tom, sorry, Emma Thompson's P.L. Travers and Tom Hanks is Walt Disney. So she, I've been, I've been to watch that movie. It's a very good movie. But keep in mind that it's a work of fiction. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah. P.L. Travers goes to California, and she makes a deal with Disney, basically. But she wants full script control, which Disney's never really given to anybody ever before. But she gets it because he really wants to make this movie. And so there's, like, tapes, like a bunch of tapes in the Disney vault that he also have put out on CD as part of the... Uh, soundtrack to Mary Poppins from 64 of P.L. Travers meeting with the story team for Mary Poppins. Um, what was this man's name right quick? Um, I want to say it was Don Softy, but also with the Sherman brothers, um, Richard and Robert Sherman, who wrote the songs. Like, basically, their job was to wear her down on the idea of, of the movie having songs. Which they did because the Sherman brothers were really freaking good at writing songs. Really, really good at writing songs. Um, let me just try to figure out, see what the name... Look up, like, who who is credit with the script for Mary Poppins. That would be easier to get all that together. Oh, except I don't see it at all. Darn Wikipedia. We go to IMDb then. But basically what happened is that she got script, script approval. Like, she was really particular about details and things. Mary Poppins couldn't wear red. She kind of demanded that everybody be cast with British actors, which they, for the most part, did, except for the, 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 second, the supporting character of Dick Van Dyke as Bert. Because Walt Disney had seen him on... The uh, Dick Van Dyke show and really wanted him to play Bert. Mm. Like, P.L. Travis never liked Dick Van Dyke in that part at all, but she did approve of Julie Andrews, though. Julie Andrews was a stage actress at this time. Um, Bill Walsh and Don DeGrady, I did have it right. They were the two who sat in with the meetings with P.L. Travis. But Julie Andrews was a broad, was a Broadway actress who had become popular for playing the lead of Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady. Warner Brothers bought the rights to make My Fair Lady, and they would not cast her because they said that she didn't look attractive. They cast uh, Audrey Hepburn instead, and then had um, her singing dub because Audrey Hepburn couldn't sing that well. But uh, Walt Disney and P.L. Travis wanted her to play Mary Poppins. But she was pregnant at the time, but they allowed her time to have her baby and everything. And then they would start filming in 1963 to do Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. So Mary Poppins was now a musical. It did have one American in it. And then Walt Disney decided, well, we are Disney. There should be some animation in it. 
because this is a big fantasy film. And so they came up with the whole idea of the penguins and the chart drawing, and it's a jolly holiday with Mary. P.L. Travers hated that whole entire sequence. But Walt Disney was shrewd, someone might say underhanded. The way the contract worked, P.L. Travers had script approval. She did not have final cuts on the film. But she had script approval. She had script approval. So Walt Disney had, you know, the people insert, um, I think Robert Stevenson's the director of Mary Poppins. You know, the whole sequence where they jump into the chart drawing and there's, you know, they go and, like, hang out with the penguins and the animals and, like, the the pearlies with the um, pearls on who are all animated characters. That sequence, mm. I believe, won them an Oscar for best uh, visual effects. Yeah, step in time. Because they actually invented a whole lot of technical processes to be able to do that whole thing. There had already been, of course, movies where live actors and cartoon characters interacted that had already been made. But Mary Poppins sort of kind of perfected a lot of those techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, a man named Ub Iwerks, who was the co-creator of Mickey Mouse, but in his later years had gone into special effects instead. He developed this process where he had the actors in front of this sodium-coated screen. They would film them with, spe- with special cameras that would film one pass with like a regular camera exposure. The other pass would film like a what we call a mat in compositing. Basically, the silhouette of the person. That would be used so that you cut them out of the film and put them into a cartoon background and have cartoons behind and in front of them as well. And that's how they did the um, the Jolly Holiday sequence. And a lot of the special effects, for example, Mary Poppins first shows up at the house and she opens her bag and is pulling out, you know, lamps and mirrors and things out of the bag, which doesn't seem to have a bottom to it. I remember that. That, that whole, that was mm. so, that was so amazing to me as a kid. I was like, how is she doing this? Right. Her eyes were so wide. How? Just- because they actually had in that same sequence, um, the kid actually go underneath the table. Yeah, like they're trying to figure out how she's pulling this this like six foot lamp out of this yeah. two foot bag, and so little Michael climbs under the table and is sort of kind of trying to figure out. Like they they made it as complicated as possible for the sixties for the special effects to make it look real. <laughs> and so like Mary Poppins, the story basically sorry, sort of kind of refresh is that. There's this, the Banks family, who are this upper middle class family that live on. They live at 17 Cherry Tree Lane in London, right next door to Admiral Boom, who fires his cannon on the hour every hour to mark the hour. They have had an issue where they cannot retain a nanny for their children, Jane and Michael, who are a little bit too rambunctious for their nanny. They currently have Katie Nana. The parents are too busy to be involved with the kids. The mother is a suffragette. She's out um, campaigning for women's right to vote, which is a very noble thing, but she pretty much, she A, doesn't regard her kids at all, and B, when her husband comes around, she pretends to be a docile housewife. And Mm. the um, husband, George Banks, he works at the Federal Fiduciary Bank. Banks is a banker. And he pretty much ignores his entire family. Certainly from a personality's perspective, he basically is only there to be a a disciplinarian and sort of kind of to show up and eat dinner and go to bed. 
So the kids want a nanny, and they write their own advertisement for the nanny about she. They want her to have rosy cheeks, no warts, um, play games, all sorts. And of course, you know, the father's like, "This is nonsense." Tears up, tears up their ad, writes his own. But the ad they tore up, he they threw he threw it to the fireplace, goes up the fireplace, and it gets delivered. Of course, up in the clouds to Mary Poppins, who shows up, blows all the other nannies who showed up to um, interview away. I love that sequence so much. <laughs> yeah, just just women flying down the the down the down the, road, down the, the street. <laughs> Dude, it's stuff like that that was like crazy to me. Like that's you know what it is? It's just there's too much technology now <laughs> in this movie, right? Before it was amazing because we don't see that in movies back then. Yeah, nobody saw that in movie back then. Right. Like, so when I saw Mary it, Pop is sort of kind of like the Jurassic Park of his time. Right. It broke the mold. <laughs> right. So now that same stuff that you want to put in Mary Poppins Returns, that's not novel anymore. <laughs> We've seen that. Let me get to that. So Mary Poppins shows up. She comes out of the sky on, a, on an umbrella. You know, but that umbrella also talks. And, you know, she's just full of odd and unusual magic. She slides up banisters. She's got this bag that's got all these things in it that couldn't possibly fit into it. She is very vain. She loves a mirror. She loves a fucking mirror. And the mirror loves her. And the mirror loves her back. <laughs> and... Wow. And, and she also is like, well, Julie Andrews' as Mary Poppins is very nice compared to any other version of her that's ever been written or depicted. But she's kind of nice. She's a little bit stern, but she's nicer with it. But the whole idea is that in the Disney, original Disney film, is that she tries to make hard tasks into fun tasks. Like, for example, the nursery where the children stay at is dirty. And the idea of cleaning it up is to turn it into a game. And, of course, that's where the song A Spoonful of Sugar comes from. You know, just a spoonful of sugar keeps the medicine go down. Medicine go down. Medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Is this actually a song from the movie? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure you know that song. You are an American person over the age of 25. (laughs) I've heard of the concept of that, but I don't. Yeah, that's where I, the, that's where the concept comes from. It comes from that song. It literally came from that song. Yeah. that's where it came from. Okay. Yeah. So I think a couple of things from that movie got turned into like actual culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a, it was a gigantic hit. It's the most successful film Disney ever put out during his lifetime. And so Mary Poppins and um, takes the kids, you know, like on an outing the next day. They go visit Bert, the um, chimney sweep, who's pretending to be a chalk artist this day. And they jump into his chalk drawing and spend hang out with the, ch- um, the chalk people inside the drawing. That's the animated part where Bert and uh, Mary sing, It's a jolly holiday with Mary. It's talking about how Bert's not, how Mary could be safe around Bert because he's not going to try to push up on her. I'm just like. <laughs> Like you listen to the lyrics as an adult, you're like, oh wow, this is this is a lot. <laughs> and that's also where they sing the song um Super Caller Fragilistic Expialidocious. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a bigger hit than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, the one that won the Oscar for Best Song was Chim Chim Cherry, which is the opening song for the movie. 
that plays over oh, the over yeah, credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Coltrane did a remake of that. Jim, Jim, Cherie, when you're with the sweep, you're in glad company. Like, all the Serving Brothers songs were, like, these really big, like, hits from this musical, from this movie. And so, like, Mary Poppins, basically, what it turns out is that she's not really there to just to take care of the kids. What she's really there for is to show the father that he is neglecting his children. Like, you know, like, in between all these, like, um, magical adventures, including one where the children end up on the roof, where, and then they, that whole thing of, like, had to get down, and so, like, they uh, meet all of Bert's chimney sweep friends, and they do the step in time dance sequence. Oh, my God. So kinetic. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you something, because this is kind of related to uh-huh. that whole situation. So, Disney has been doing a lot of these types of movies in the last, it feels like, seven to ten years almost. The remakes? Like, well, not just remakes, but more... More adult-looking remakes. Well, like, they're... I mean, they're, like, modernized versions of what they were making back then just for today's, like, audiences. Like, so you got to understand also that Disney makes plenty of adult movies, or at least they used to. They just put them out under different names. They got touchstone pictures and Hollywood well, pictures. Well, what I what I was getting at, I'm sorry, I got distracted. What I was getting at was Disney has been doing a lot of these types of movies, like Maleficent, uh, the Oz the Great and Powerful, this uh-huh. Mary Poppins. Is there these are movies that sort of go more to teenage and adult audiences? Well, not really. Maybe. Well, Maleficent and I mean. Oz is supposed to be a like a, a family film. And Mary Poppins Returns is too. And of course, Beauty and the Beast and things like that. I think it's just more so that, you know, there was a like back in the 60s, everything was rated G or PG. And mm-hmm. now, like, just like the aesthetics of motion pictures have just changed in general since then. Like they aren't designed to be for like more for teens and adults, where they're designed for teens and adults to be entertained by them, but for kids as well. If that makes sense. It does to a point. I'm just trying to wonder, I'm, I'm wondering what is really the point of doing these types of movies. Um, to make money. To make, yeah. It's, <laughs> no, that's, that's it. Because I know to make money, but like, who? I, I'm just trying to confirm who their key audience is. So here's the thing the about key audience is, like, I, they're, I would like to chime in on this. What they're trying to do is make the four, what they call the four-quadrant movie in Hollywood, where the four quadrants of Lady Ayas are women under 25, men under 25, women over 25, men over 25. So everybody goes to see it because there's something in the movie for everybody. That's sort of kind of what they've been doing since 19, let's say 89. Just, just a little mermaid was the first, let's make this a four quadrant movie they ever made. Problem is, is that these recent ones are hit or miss. <laughs> That's a problem. So I I know you're gonna you're gonna object. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast, for example. Well, Beauty and the Beast was hit a problem. Miss. Yeah, hit or miss. Emma Watson can't sing a note. See, but like so Mary Poppins, like the original was a four quadrant movie. It was not designed just for children to go see. Otherwise, it wouldn't have made the money that it made. Right, and I think the same thing is going to happen to all of these. As Greg just pointed out, these Disney remakes, these live actions, 
they're all going to be hit or miss. Wait, I'm, I, well, I was, well, that's exactly what's going to happen. You have what's coming up next is Lion King, Aladdin, and Dumbo. And Dumbo. None of these things, like I'm looking at all of them and I'm just like, all of these things have me worried. Wait, wait, well, hold that thought because I still wanted to finish recapping the original Mary Poppins first. Okay. So it turned out, of course, you know, Mary Poppins is there to show George Banks that he's not, he's not taking care of his children. You know, he, he also is not being charitable. That's where the whole song Feed the Birds comes from. Which is the whole idea of, you know, how simple it is to be a charitable person, of, to be philanthropic. Feed the birds, toppings a day. Toppings a day. And, you know, the whole thing, like, the children come to the bank with Mary Poppins. Um, they get George Banks fired. But he realizes that all he really needs is his family. Which isn't necessarily true, but, I mean, it works for this plot of this film. Uh, <laughs> But he realizes he's been neglecting his children the whole entire time, and he takes them to the park. They go fly um, a kite because he had torn up Michael's kite in anger before, but he fixed it for him and takes them all out to the park for an outing. And he gets his job back because his um, old bosses at the bank or at the park, if this happened to be. But the whole idea is that, and P.L. Travers sort of kind of stressed this because, you know, the, George Banks is a proxy for her own father. Mary Poppins comes to save the parents, not the children. Mm. That's why always why she's there. Because if they need they, if they didn't need a nanny, she wouldn't need to be there. And so, like you know, the original film ends with the, them in the park, and Mary Poppins, you know, the the wind changes and she has to leave. But as she's leaving, like the um, the family, the mom, the dad, and Jane and Michael are at the park flying kites and being a family for the first time you've ever seen in the entire in the entire movie. And so, like the Mary Poppins Returns is set twenty five years later. The first was nineteen ten. This was nineteen thirty five. The Great Depression has hit London. Everybody's poor, like we were saying. Uh, Michael is now in his thirties. He, his wife, Kate, Pat, passed away the year before, leaving him as a widower with three young children, John, Annabelle, and Georgie. Michael's kind of an inept father, and so the kids basically raised themselves in this new movie. Like, in the first scene of uh, of We Meet the Family, the sink has broken, because they still live at 17 Cherry Tree Lane, but they haven't taken care of it. It's starting to fall apart. Michael was trying to be an artist, but he ended up getting a part-time job at his dad's, um, at the bank his dad used to be a partner in to try to keep the bills afloat. They've lost most of their, like, house staff. Only Ellen, the maid, is the only one who's left. And um, Jane, um, Jane, Michael's sister, comes by every now and then to sort of kind of help out. But she doesn't live there. She has her own apartment across town. And so they're they're struggling really bad when it turns out that Michael hasn't paid the uh, mortgage and the house is going to be foreclosed upon if they don't have the full loan paid off in five days. And so sort of kind of in the, like, that, that causes Michael and Jane to try to go through the attic looking for the dad's certificate of shares, that you know, because he was a partner in the bank. So he had shares in the bank, but they had to find 
the share certificate to prove they actually own part of the bank and keep the money to save the house. While looking for these things, Michael finds his old kite from the first movie. And he's sort of kind of like, this is my problem. I need to throw the pass away. You know, I'm, a, I'm an adult now, and such and such and such. So he throws out um, a box of old junk, including the kite. And the kite on its own sort of kind of flies away. Meanwhile, the children are off to the grocery store to buy groceries because they're, you know, they're raising themselves. And the youngest one, Georgie, sees the kite flying and goes and grabs it and tries to fly it himself. But the wind is, like, way too powerful for him. So he starts flying across the um, the park. And Jack the Lampladder comes and tries to help save him and the other kids. And they pull the kite out of the sky, and Mary Poppins is, is attached to the kite when it comes out of the sky. Queen. And she lands and immediately starts reading these children for being dirty. <laughs> She's she's like you could grow you you could you could grow potatoes in that much soil yeah. and John just is filthy. Yeah, so basically Mary Poppins <laughs> touches Dawn and she invents Twitter, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> 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 I mean, Emily Blunt is playing the Mary Poppins from the book. She said in her prep that she didn't watch the movie over again. She went instead and read the books. And she liked that depiction better. And so that's sort of kind of what she's doing here. Her Mary Poppins is a lot, frankly, ruder. She's right all the time. But she's she she reads the children for filth every lie that comes out of her mouth. So what you're saying is she's <laughs> Emily Blunt? Yes, she's... she's... Oh, wow. That was corny. That was corny, <laughs> Ali, really. But, but the idea is that... <laughs> <laughs> and Emily Blunt's performance, why it's so good. She enjoys what she does. She enjoys helping the kids. She enjoys having fun with her like magic powers. She just doesn't let the kids see she's having fun. She's always trying to put on the face of I'm the strict nanny, the disciplinarian, the caretaker. But she tries to make all like, especially with these kids who have basically turned into little adults, she tries to bring a little bit more joy back into their lives. Like she immediately ushers these dirty children into the, into the bathroom to take to take baths, even though they're like, we take we take our baths um at night, and she's like, I have learned that the best time to, the best time to take a bath is when one needs one. <laughs> well, and also the, the kids are adamant that we don't need you to draw our baths. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we, we know how to take care of ourselves. Yeah, we, we don't, don't need, need a nanny. You. Yeah, and like, and yeah, like which is which is interesting because it's not. Which it, is which is the complete flip of the, the original, of the original movie, film, where is, they needed a nanny. We fan. want a nanny. We want someone to take care of us. We want someone to care right. about what we about us. But here, it's like we don't need you anymore. We're all grown up. We're pretty mature. It, it's not like as if we're. It's not like as if they're saying like, "Hey, we don't need you because you know we're we're being rude." It's we don't need you because we've learned how to grow up ourselves. Which the pro- and that's part of the problem, though, because they haven't grown- learned to grow up properly, and they've learned to grow up way before their time. And that's sort of kind of what Mary Poppins is there for. And so, like, she turns bath time into a magical adventure set to a song called Can You Imagine That? Where she does the same trick of taking all this stuff out of her bag, but it's all, like, beach toys and a big, gigantic beach umbrella and throws it all into the tub and throws the kids into the tub, and they slide into, like, this magical underwater world where, like, all of their neighbors and things are also, like, in this magical water world. And, like, she gets real sponges from the bottom of the sea. And she's like, be sure to scrub behind your ears. <laughs> That's in the new movie. Yes, this is the new movie, yes. 
Okay. So I'm going to have to look into that and check it out. Like, and, and I, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I hate to do this. I kind of got to go. Okay. But yeah, I, I think you would enjoy it. You might cry for a lot of, I mean, because like it does involve, you know, like, like for, it has some thematic things that, you know, like are very like dark and things like that, but it handles it, I hope, in a way that makes people feel better about it. One last question. If, um, because I, it's been eons since I've seen the original You don't Mary have to Poppins. see the original again before you to go get see it. it. To get it. Okay. You just have to okay. remember it, basically, what it was more or less about. Like, what I've told you today is enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember the general idea, you know. Right. Lady and, with the umbrella sweeping in to save people. And right. Same family. And the, yeah. and the one really good thing they do in the in the in the sequel is the idea that Jane and Michael are grown now. They've forgotten everything that happened. They just remember that Mary Poppins was their nanny and they feel like they imagined all the magical things she could do. They've forgotten that it actually had happened. That's sort of kind of yeah. like how like as her powers work. When you get grown, you forget it all. And Lin Manuel plays the grown version of one of the kids. Is no, right? no, he he plays Jack, who's like sort of kind of standing for Dick Van Dyke in this movie. He's a lamp lighter, like he goes around and lights the lamps at night and unlights them in, um, when day breaks. He says that he was an apprentice of Burt, like he used to be like a junior chimney sweep. That's how he knows Mary Poppins. Okay, like we're to assume he's he's one of the one of the guys in the um, Step in Time in the original movie. That's what we're left okay. to assume that he met Mary Poppins then. But he's like the only adult who remembers who she is and what she can do. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for letting me be part of the show today. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. And uh, yeah, I'm going to look into that and do that. It'll give me something to do. Okay, man. All right. You have a great day. You do the same. Thanks again. Take care, Ali. Take care, Greg. All right. See you guys. Right. And so after bath time, you know, like the kids are all excited and everything. But you know the dad's not hearing any of it because he's frustrated. He's cause, frustrated because like he's about to about to lose the house, and they're bothering him about things that are quote unquote nonsensical, right? Right. And like one of the subplots in the movie that that sort of kind of gets goes in and out is the fact that Jack has had a crush on Jane since they were kids, but he's never really like I guess like tried to like step to her or whatever. True, but I didn't really focus on that because honestly, what I would have really what I would have really not liked about this movie is if they is if they try to put a romance thing in there. I would have been I'd have been over it. I'd uh-huh. have been I would have not been a fan of it. Cause it's this is not the movie for that. <laughs> like well, I would you know not in the have... original movie, P.L. Travis demanded that Bert and Mary Poppins not have any sort of romantic relationship at all. It's I I don't I don't like the idea of whenever I watch a movie. Where it's like, where it's like, I'm a guy. Oh, I'm a girl. Oh, we're within close proximity to each other. So that means you must be, we must be together. <laughs> and like, or, or imagine, imagine that he could just be a really nice guy who's just wants to be platonic and she could just be a really cool person or woman to. I know, I know it's crazy. I know, I know it's crazy. <laughs> right. Because one thing about I Jane know. in the new movie that, you know, she doesn't have a lot of screen time. 
Yeah. Like, she is a union activist. Which is almost the same thing her mom used to do. Well, her mom was an activist for... But it's supposed to be, like, like a parallel. Right. Who, uh, you know, she was an activist for women's votes. She's right. an activist for workers' rights and unionization, you know, and everything. Yeah. So, that reminds me of... Because I remember one of the famous things is when... Because when, when Step in Time got... got um, I mean, Step in Time... Whew, that song was long. And then, they, and then they decided, you know, we're going to take this all the way downstairs. Yeah. And so they did. And then they, they met the mother. And, and she was like, I think the mother, when they when she, because every time it was always, they would say a phrase. On the rooftop go, step inside. Same time, On right? the rooftop step inside. So the mother was like, you know, like voting. It wasn't like women's rights or something like that, she said. And then, then all the sushi was like, women's, women's rights. Right, step in time. <laughs> women's rights. Step in time. <laughs> it was like... Never you bother, never you I always thought that was right, so funny because the mother was more optimistic <clears throat> than the dad. <clears throat> and when she entered the house, I just thought that she would be upset at the fact that, who are these weird men <laughs> dancing in my living room? <laughs> But then, but then she just she rolls and she's like, eh, whatever, right. and she just keeps on going. So, yeah. But yeah, so the kids are trying to figure out how they can like help, like keep the house from being foreclosed on, and in the process of like the whole digging up for papers, like they like Jane and Michael have left the um. Michael study a mess. And Mary Poppins is like, you would think they would learn to pick up after themselves and start um, having the kids help her pick up all the papers and things. And she she doesn't pick up anything. She just does it magically herself. But she's like, she makes the kids pick it up by hand. But she's letting her like making making paper swirl around. And she gives Georgie a piece, like a piece of her, like uh, her, one of his dad's old drawings to take. Um, or she gives him a big basket of trash. Right. And on top of it is a drawing of the family that the dad had made while he was still an artist. And Georgie takes it and keeps it because his mom is on it. Now, it's not a spoiler to say that the goddamn share certificate they were looking for is that piece of paper. And the second I saw it, I was like, that's where that's where it is, isn't it? Because the funny thing is, he watched, I watched the second time, Mary Poppins' eyes, she looks at the paper as it flows into the basket. To the, she's she's going to give to Georgie. She looks at it on purpose. Oh, so yeah. She knows exactly what she is doing the entire time. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everything is com- completely planned. So Right. Yeah. Cause Georgie takes that that paper and he uses it to patch up the kite that he found that Mary Poppins arrived on. And the kids are trying to figure out how they can help save the house. And so they decide they're gonna sell their mother's priceless Royal Dalton China bowl. But they're well, they, they don't decide. That's the idea that is pitched, but they disagree upon whether or not they're actually going to do it because it was mom's. It was priceless. It was John's idea. Annabelle says no. Georgie says no. So they sort of fight over it and drop it and crack it while Mary Poppins is talking to Jack outside. And when they crack the bowl, the drawing on the bowl ends up with like there's like a horse-drawn carriage on the side and the carriage is now broken. And the bowl itself is like, I'm broken. I'm as useless as a chocolate teapot. And so Mary Poppins is like, we uh, we have to go inside the bowl and, and fix it. And so she turns the bowl and spins it. This is in the trailer, of course. And like the flowers fly off of it and transports them inside of the china bowl. And one of the best dad jokes of all time. Where are we? Lamboel Miranda goes, tick, tick. Looks like we're in China, so to speak. <laughs> 
Yeah. And the same way in the original, Mary Poppins was like, children, don't run and sm- don't fall and smudge the drawing. Yeah. And this one, they're sliding across the china because, like, it's porcelain. It's porcelain. So. She's like, this is fine china, children. Don't, don't, don't run and uh, and uh, spoil the glaze. Yeah, you, might, you might crack the bowl. So. Right. And so, like, the, all the characters inside the bowl are all, like, animals. They're all anthropomorphic animals that talk and stuff. So this is, like, you know, the animated sequence, which is good, but I have to say, it is a sad day when Disney, Walt Disney Pictures, has to outsource a 2D animated sequence to another company to do because they have fired all but two of their animators who do that sort of work anymore. So um, the Ken Duncan studio is the studio that produced the animation for the sequence. They they do commercials and things, and they had done some uh, added scenes for the special edition of The Iron Giant a couple of years ago. And so a lot of people who worked on the sequence used to work at Disney, and a lot of the Disney animators who used to work on these types of films came out of retirement to do this one, but it's not done at the Disney studio because they don't have the people there to do it. But Mary Poppins sings a song about the Royal Dalton Music Hall with a lot of, like, tricky wordplay. That's, that's fun. And then when they actually get to the music hall, she pulls out of her umbrella. Um, she and Jack take the stage to do a song called A Cover Is Not The Book, which has... I have to, like, recount to you the opening lyrics. That shit is... Uncle Gutenberg was a bookworm. Gutenberg, of course, being, like, like an early scholar, I think. The Gutenberg Project named after him. Uncle Gutenberg was a bookworm, and he lived on Cherry and Cross. The memory of his volumes brings a smile. He would read me lots of stories when he wasn't on the sauce. And now I like to recount the knowledge of my favorite bibliophile. And then, like, they do a thing where the she's in front of one of those changing um, stands. Yeah, the where you where you, you it's, it's basically just a barrier where you it's like a change it's like a mobile changing room. Yeah, and it goes up. She's got a whole new outfit and the Velma Kelly's wig from Chicago. <laughs> um, spoil, also, so Rob Marshall directs the Mary Poppins Returns. Rob Marshall also directed Chicago. He did Nine. He did Annie the Musical. Not the one, not not the one from the eighties, but the one from the nineties. Disney probably showed that one. Did Disney used to show an Annie movie that wasn't the one from the eighties? Disney Channel. The you mean the the you mean there's one that's black and white? No, it's in color. It's in full. It's in more color. So. There's one that's been in 82. That's the one I grew up in. That's probably the one that you saw. I don't remember that. I remember the 82 one. Okay. Yeah. And then and so Rob Marshall also made Chicago. Have you seen Chicago? Yes, I've seen Chicago. Um, he did Into the Woods. He did Nine. He did Memories of a Geisha. I think that's all of his major films. But yeah, there's a Rob Marshall style, and it covers that the book is definitely like a Rob Marshall like style, like number. With the whole like Velma Kelly wig and like the whole fact it's like kind of jazzy vaudevillian is what it really is. Yeah, and the fact that the only problem I had, the problem I had with that is that you you can't understand the lyrics at all. Well, you had to see it multiple. You had to actually hear it multiple times. Yeah, but, but is that what you want to tell tell people? Hey, this movie's really good. You just have to see it four times. <laughs> but like the stories they tell are basically about how people judge people. But people and things. The first one was about a tree who um, has a barren top, 
but lush, a lush bottom. And then when Mr. Hickory Tree looks and sees her blossoms blooming down there, he took root and now there are seedlings everywhere. And so a cover is not the book, so open it up and cycle it. Between the covers, one discovers that the king may be a crook. Chapter titles are like signs, and if you read between the lines, you'll find your first mispre- your first impression was mistook. Because a cover is nice, but a cover is not the book. The second story is about the la- is a, a lady, Lady Hyacinth McCall, who was apparently who only wore two feathers and a leaf because she was rich and didn't want people to know that she was rich. And then the third story is um, because it's the story about the dirty rascal. And Jack is like, isn't that one a bit long? And Mary Poppins is like, well, the quicker you're into it, the quicker you're out of it. So he does it as a quadruple time patter song. Now, white people, not all of them, some of them, the racist ones, have been angry about this part of the song because Lemuel Miranda, famous for Hamilton, raps, quote unquote. And they're quite offended that only it's not rapping. He is doing a patter song. As a matter of fact, Dick Van Dyke, the whitest man who has ever lived, did the same thing in the 1964 movie during Jolly Holiday, where he recounts the names of every other girlfriend he has had who was not Mary Poppins, and she's just there and makes offended ass faces. <laughs> but the story's about how, you know. This king needed a tutor because he was dumb. And his the queen mother kept bringing all these people, and they weren't good. And she would execute them and chop their heads off. But like this one dirty guy came and taught him, you know, how to be the person that he wanted to be. Which I feel like it was like a gay, like a gay um, thing because they they ran off into a rainbow at the end. And the songs are written by uh, Mark Shivin and Scott Whitman, who were a couple. But are no longer a couple. They were a couple for 30 years. They broke up and married different people. But they still work together. How, I don't know how that works, but it works for them, I guess. Mm-hmm. It was like, like, it was like, it's like, it's like, hey, John, I'm going to go over to um, Scott's house uh, so I can get started for work today. You know. Something we've read about Scott that. and I shared a bed for 35 years. <laughs> Bert and Ernie. <laughs> I guess they are Bert and Ernie. Um, but yeah, and so the number concludes with all the cartoon animals joining on the stage. And the penguins are in this number. The penguins from the original movie redesigned a little bit to make them look different from each other. And one thing I appreciate about the animated part is that all the cartoon characters are drawn flat. They don't do the Roger Rabbit thing where they draw the shadows and highlights on them to make them look yeah, round. Yeah, yeah. They are drawn like flat cartoons, like right. the original movie. And, that's, and that also works really well because... The clothes are have painted on. Yeah, they, they, they paint. They paint the live action actors. They paint their clothes on. Like Mary Poppins says, this ruffle dress. All the ruffles are paint. It's not real ruffles. Yeah. But in, but while they're doing this, like so, they were introduced to the uh, music hall by a wolf, and the wolf, while they're enjoying the show, has kidnapped Georgie's um toy giraffe named Gilly. Is kidnapping Georgie as well because apparently they've been jealous about jealous towards these kids. They have stolen all of their items from nursery, all their beds and toys and things. 
and he's kidnapped Georgie's wife. So the other kids um, have tried to go and get Seamus, who was driving the um, horse-drawn Bucky from the first number, and catch um, the wolf. Which I really like that they they added some stakes to like this animated world where it wasn't just hey cartoon fun like the original movie. No, the last the only stick in the in the cartoon in the cartoon world that they jumped into was the rain. Yeah, well, the rain that came in, and rain um, washed the drawing away. But I love that the chase thing, and then they're chasing inside the bowl, so like physics do weird things. They start going yeah. upside down and everything like that, and then like the end, like oh no, the edge of the bowl. Ah! They fly off, but then they wake up from like like a dream. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And a even though so this is Mary Poppins, one thing it does not do that Ali pointed out earlier. From a visual effects standpoint, it doesn't really innovate. It does things that you probably see better done in Aquaman and then a lot of other movies that are out this year. The one way it quote unquote innovates is by going backwards with the whole animation cartoon character thing and live actors. They do that very, very well. It's better very than smooth. ever been done before. It's very smooth. Yeah. What I think, um, I will comment on that because somebody, um, I was recently listening to a podcast where um some folks were going over what their favorite uh, movies of 2018 were, uh-huh. and then they mentioned um, they mentioned that one of their t- like somebody mentioned like at least two people mentioned that their ultimate favorite was Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, uh-huh. and the reason why is because <coughs> they went into a, a, a just a, a really short talk about the fact that we've it's 20 it's 2019 right now uh-huh. and we've been through years by now it's like like decades and some of of um, 3D animated movies uh-huh. and, and and just animation in general. And for a lot of these movies, it's about replicating real life. Right. And that's fine because some of them are, are, look just, just stunning. For example, um, Tangled. Yeah. Tangled looks beautiful. Yes. Stunning, right? But it's when you see a movie like Into the Spider-Verse, where they take the animated um, drawings and they elevate Well, it's them. not drawings. I mean, some of it is drawings, but most of it is actually is CGI. Right, right. I mean, sorry. I mean, see, yeah. The whole, point is, the whole point is it's CGI, right? But when you take that and then you add another element over it to sort of elevate the genre right. to something that you haven't seen before, to, to experiment. It's, Mind you, though, sometimes yeah. it, it falls flat on its ass. Sometimes I, I don't think at all. I think I think, movie, I think the movie is... No, 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 not that movie. I'm saying okay. sometimes when people <laughs> try to experiment with right. things like that, it falls flat. But after, but if you encourage that sort of um, practice of experimenting, don't just do CGI and just replicate the characters. Don't just... Toy Story everything. Try right. to... Toy Story was the start. Mm-hmm. And then, no, what, can, what, what else can you do with it? How can you stylize these characters? How can you stylize actions? How can you stylize other things? And I think the whole comic book idea is a really smart thing where you add the little, little thought bubbles. The, right. The, the 2D and then slowing down the frame rate so that yeah. way it, your, the images stick in your mind. Like it as looks if you're more reading. like it's drawn. Exactly. And cell shaded a whole bunch and everything. Exactly. So that's, 
that's what I think is 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 fun and 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 keeps the the genre fresh. Right. And I would like that to see that in other things. I don't know if there's a place where um, Mary Poppins could have done that. Can they? Somewhere we can elevate. I mean, to I mean, the, like to. I don't they know. they do a lot of there's a lot of cell shaded CGI in that sequence, like the the cart in particular. Oh yeah, like the cart's scenes. definitely not hand drawn. Right. Yeah, the cart's definitely not hand drawn. But something something else to really make things pop so that way it sticks in your mind. Because right now, I'm going to remember this sequence, right? But I'm not going to remember it because there was this added thing to it that really made me think, man, this is the next stage. This is what people are going to start to mimic. Well, the thing is, this is unfortunately a dying medium that we're seeing in this 2D anime sequence. Done in this old-fashioned way, it's unfortunately a dying art. Mm -hmm. But it it would still be... Because the thing what is, though, (laughs) it's dying art in this hemisphere. Yeah, in in Japan, yeah, Yeah. yeah. Right? But over there, they're starting... They're doing... Like, if I were to show you certain um, sequences over there where they've taken the regular 2D and they've done, they've added something else to sort of elevate it, to make it, make it new, pop more, French. to make it new. So you, you remember that particular animation there? Man, I remember that. And that's where the next stage of it is. Instead of just going, everything's CGI, no, it's, everything is 3D. They were just like, what can I do to make 2D? pop as well. Right. So, yeah, it is sad that it is a dying medium on on this side of the world. Um, but, you know, I, I understand that this is what's in right now. I understand that that, that 3D is, the, is, is where things are at right now. So, you know. Yeah. And so, the kids wake up from a nightmare and this next sequence is called The Place Where the Lost Things Go because basically it's a song about like you know, the kid, the thing is that the kids finally talk about their mom in the sequence. Like they're sort of have this repressed um, sorrow and grieving that they really haven't processed properly. And Mary Poppins is, sings a song, "The Place Where the Lost Things Go," which is the one they're trying to push for the Oscar about loss and you know how to deal with it, and that you know your mom like. You're, you're like, your mom is still there, shining from a star that she makes glow. Find her in the place where the lost things go. It's a very beautiful song. Very beautiful song. And then, like, later on when the, the dad cusses out the kids and they all come and they, like, and because he, he's like, we've lost our, I've lost my wife, we've lost our home. And Georgie's like, we haven't lost mother. See, and they sing, the, they reprise the song. And that was the first time I cried when I first saw the movie. So what I love about this sequence, um, too, besides what you just mentioned, is the fact that the father, he's frustrated, but immediately after, it's not, he, he chews out the kids for a second, but immediately after, you can see that there's a, a real sense of regret on his face. Right. And then he apologizes and 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 basically basically admits that everything is his fault and he's just he's just so upset that that he can't be the kind of person that they that need. they that they need right. which is a which is again 
parallel, not really parallel, but contrast to the original dad. The original dad couldn't care less. He, he, he was, he was, he was a, dunderheaded. Yeah, he's he's a um a figurehead. He's a, an authoritative um patriarchal. Um, that's all he is. He's just there to make he's there to complete the family portrait. Right. Really, right? However, um, you know, his son you know, after the effects of, you know, Mary Poppins and influence and, you know, being more optimistic and looking at life a different kind of way, he's turned into somebody who who wants to he who wants to to be, you know, that kind of person. He wants to he wants to 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 um be the kind of person who's transformative um for his kids. Right. The only right? problem is that lately this everything is yeah happened. it's just he's everything's way. Yeah, because his wife has his wife has done more in that role than he has and it's it's kind of been escaping his grasp the the understanding of what that needs to be done and oh, adulting so, in general yeah yeah and so he's 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 upset he's grateful and i like the fact that the kids aren't upset like oh well you're just being mean or whatever they're like don't worry about it everything's going to be okay yeah. but you just can't be, you can't just you can't fall into despair like this. We're still here. Everybody else around here, you know, we're still waiting to help. And I love how this scene compares with later on, you talk about in, in general, how all the other people that they meet every day come to their aid, come to the, the house as they're unpacking, as they are packing up the the, the truck. Right. And it's like we we um you know we cherish you as a member of the community and it it makes the fathers it's it makes the father even more optimistic that hey it's going to be okay because wherever we go we'll be together and we'll find other neighbors just as awesome as these guys and you know right. we'll just continue on and i and i absolutely that what i took away from that i love it all right and I also love, you know, because I the, the music people have racked on the songs as being unmemorable. They're definitely a little bit complex for what the, for the type of movie that I think people were going to see. But I think that they are good songs. And I also love the arrangements. Mark Scheiman is a musician who is quite fond of a busy ass, uh, busy ass score with all sorts of instruments and things going and doing all sorts of crazy things. And he definitely does that here, but it fits for a Mary Poppins movie more than anything else he's done since probably the Adams family. Because that was when that he did a score for both of those, that very busy do 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 you know, uh, Adams family score. Mm. Uh, um, random trivia: He was fired from the Emperor's New Groove. He did the original score for that movie. They fired him. Whew, good thing, because that 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 new score is 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 a bop. <laughs> I will remember every. I remember everything on that. Yeah, on that, that's memorable. Yeah, he, he the one he did was too was way too busy. Like I heard pieces of it. I was like, ooh, scales <laughs> yeah. back. Um, the um, next day after the place where the lost things go, Mary Poppins is going to take the kids to her cousin to have the bowl, like the China bowl, mended so they could see about selling it. In the process, you know. Jack takes him over there on his bike by by doing some very like complicated um balancing tricks. Balancing tricks. I love that little Georgie is innocently asks, Mary Poppins, how much do you weigh? And she looks at him like, what did you say? I know you did not ask her that question. <laughs> oh, and so 
we meet Mary Poppins' cousin, Topsy Turvey, who is a character from the books. In the books, she is her and her husband. And her husband's the one who ends up standing on her on his head every second, I think Tuesday in the book. Okay. So, but in the movie, um, it's just Topsy Turvey by herself. And she, like, every every Wednesday, second Wednesday from nine to noon, her whole entire, like, store and house turns upside down so that the ceiling is the roof and the roof is the ceiling. It's supposed to be like the parallel of the Uncle Albert sequence in the original, which is my least favorite sequence in the original. I like Edwin, but that's too much Edwin even for me in this movie. (laughs) So Meryl Streep plays Topsy Turvey. Meryl Streep was a famous critic of Saving Mr. Banks because she said that Walt Disney was a racist and a sexist and a misogynist, which are all true things. Uh, but here you are. You are at a Disney production, madam. I mean, that is the that is like the spiritual sequel to the film that you dissed five years ago. True, but if I didn't tell you that was Meryl Streep, huh? But if I didn't tell you that was Meryl Streep, would I have known? But as a general person, I mean, her name is on the on the movie. But <laughs> obviously, if you're looking at the movie and you're like, it says and Meryl Streep. It's the end. If you are watching this sequence, people who are listening, you wouldn't have known that that was Meryl She's Street. in a lot of makeup. She's she's done the makeup like, and the costuming. She's done up like uh, what's the lady from the Rescuers, uh, Madame Medusa. <laughs> yeah, she got like red hair and like a like a like a flapper bob and like this like yeah. like these um her yeah her makeup is caked on, caked on, and you know it's the the costuming it's. It transformed her. Yeah. She's a completely different person. If you didn't know that was Meryl Streep, you wouldn't have, yeah, you wouldn't have been none the wiser. So, but yeah, she sings a song called "Turning Turtle" about you know, like a turning her uh, going flippity flop like a turtle on his back, which is sort of kind of this like jazzy 1920s sort of kind of a style of a song. One thing about the music in this movie, like just like the actual like way it's produced. Rob Marshall, wherever he could do it, he got to, to sing live on the set. So, like, if you listen to the soundtrack album, the songs sound different vocal-wise because they actually use the takes, of the, like, the on-camera takes in the movie as much as possible. So, like, especially this one sounds way different in the movie, better in the movie, I would say. And it's funny because, like, the idea here is that Mary Poppins teaches Topsy Turvy that, you know, when the world turns upside down, the best thing to do is turn right along with it. And um, when you change the view from which you stood, the things you view may change for good. Which is a very good lesson to learn. Even grown people could use that. True, one. because the kids eventually apply. Um, the, the kids, the, the idea is that eventually the kids will apply this very same, right? You know, rule. You know, in in the you know the very next scene. The very next scene. <laughs> and so they leave, and once they leave, it gets to be noon, and the house turns back right side up. And <laughs> next dad joke. Oh, I guess I see things are turning around for my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> and so they go to the bank because Michael left his briefcase at the house, and so they're bringing him his briefcase, which is the lyrics. Mary Poppins takes the briefcase from him as he's on the way out the door. Pretty much. She did a shit on purpose. And so the kids see the, the the lawyers who came to deliver the foreclosure notes to the bank. One is white and one is black. 
I just want to point out, thank you, um, Rob Marshall, for doing the like the Broadway thing, just casting black people in random parts we wouldn't actually have in real life. I do appreciate that. I know some people don't, but I do. There's no way that man would have been black in 1935. No way. No fucking way. But it's a movie. It's a musical. They're singing and dancing, and, and a woman has a magic umbrella. It's fine. <laughs> and so the idea is that they're going to try to work the black lawyer because he's the nice one and see if they can get the dad more time to save the house. But they go to, like, see, like, the chairman's room, and they realize that the banker, played by Carlin Firth, in a mustache-trolling um, part, which people said, oh, he trolls a mustache. Bitch, it's a Mary Poppins movie. Yeah, it's, Calm he's, down. He's supposed to be completely... <laughs> evil. Evil. Because like, he's a character in a storybook movie. Yeah, there's nothing... God! <laughs> there's nothing about him that should... There should be no... There's, there should be no characteristics about him that that can render him any less than that. Well, the just idea pure is that villainy. the cover, the cover is not the book. The cover is not, yeah. The cover is not the book. It's about him because he's very slick and gives off this air. He gives the children candy and stuff, but he's fucking evil. Yeah, he's a really evil person. And the kids bust in like, don't you can't take our house. And he nearly gets George fired. He's basically like, we don't want your dad to lose he loses his position on account of you, do we? And the whole thing of so the kids are on uh, get sent home by the dad. And so they end up literally getting lost in the fog. And so Jack helps them find their way home with a song that is called. Triple Little Light, Fantastic, which is the other song they're putting up for the Oscar, which is my least favorite song in the movie. Hmm. So I'm not a fan of Step in Time really that much. And this song really wants to be Step in Time with lyrics. It wants so bad to be Step in Time. Except my problem with except my problem, <laughs> my problem with that song is it's it's not catchy. It's not catchy. It's, it's just not, it's, it's too many syllables. It's too many syllables. I can't. <laughs> I can't... Oh. The syllables are very know. nice. It's very well written. Very well arranged. But it is not catchy. I will admit that. And it also has the thing where when they get to like the... like, like So Jet takes, takes the kids to meet his other fellow Learys. Including um, the black kid who plays... Uh, young, who used to play Young Simba on Broadway. Who also has a big part in this. Mm. Um, when they meet the other Learys and they do like the little thing where the lights come on and they all hit poses and stuff something in my head literally flashed a Rob Marshall production because it's like the way he stages dance numbers it's like it's literally like the movie stopped and a new movie that Rob mm. Marshall made came on because it's so different from the rest of the movie and it's so very much in his particular style. I, I feel like they could have found a way to adapt the way. So they you're shot you're that saying transitioning is a is a bit of an issue with that one sequence. It okay, because it, it 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 jumps too much out. Like it's certain things that very obviously is his style. Yeah, yeah. It, they, it feels like a scene from like his Annie, really. Yeah, it's when I saw that sequence, I was like, this sequence. The other thing is that it's so fucking busy. It is so, very busy. Like there's like they're they're dancing with ladders and bikes. Tis. And Mary Poppins does some does pop some wheelies on a bicycle, which is fun. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's 
And the other thing, Lin-Manuel Miranda, he is, they asked him to be big, like Dave Van Dyke was in the original. But the way they shoot this one in like CinemaScope and with all this like realistic looking settings and stuff, I could have taken him at 85% of what he's doing. Because he's a little big. He's a little back rowy. It's what they asked him to do because Dave Van Dyke is super back rowy in the original. But, you know, I would have I adjusted him down just a little bit. Uh, I was fine because he has to break the fourth wall anyway. So I was just like, well, just yeah. do whatever. He's definitely breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, I mean, he has to. That's the whole point of that particular character. He doesn't do so. what Dick Van Dyke do in terms of the camera. Like, oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm sure, pretty sure like native um, English speakers, like people over across the pond when they saw us, they probably wanted to smack the shit out of him. That is not how we sound. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dave probably, Van Dyke, they said, I think Entertainment Weekly did a poll. He that would have the third offended worst him. accent. Yeah, that would have offended so many people across the pond. It would have been like, wham. Like, that's not how we sound. Lynn's accent is, 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 is doing a lot too, but his is better. It's it's still doing a lot, but it's 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 a by at least one magnitude better than Van Dyke's was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just wonder how a Puerto Rican man got all the way over the um. I guess he came Stop asking boat. questions. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, there's black people and, and they're doctors and lawyers and shit. Um, and so the kids finally make their way home, and that's where we had to see where like they um the dad breaks down. They sing the reprise of Lost Things Go. And so the thing is, though, is that they can't find the share certificate. And so two days pass, and they're packing up to leave because they have to evacuate the house. And that's when, like, the neighbors, like the milkman and the next-door neighbors with the dog and Admiral Boom come, and they say goodbye. And they're like, we can offer you a room, but Jane's going to put them up in her apartment. And so they've loaded up the moving van. And they kept looking through stuff as their loaded moving van. And so Michael, and so they're about to leave, but Georgie forgot his kite. So he goes, gets the kite. And of course, I'm like, so this is where they're going to find out, huh? And of course, he, like, Michael holds up, the, holds up to the light and sees that it's the share certificates. On the other side. On the other side. But the thing was, they had until midnight to get it to the bank. And it is five minutes till. No, it's seven minutes till. And they're like, what can we do? We can't turn back time. And the kids are like, yes, we can. But that, but that's impossible. Nothing is impossible. But it's nonsense. Of course it's nonsense, Father. If it's nonsense, it can't possibly be true. But can we do that, Mary Poppins? Can we turn back time? I don't see why that can't be arranged. I mean, you know. And I, I actually set up my seat. I'm like, are they going to go to Big Ben and turn Big backwards? And that's exactly what they did. <laughs> well, that's the only thing. Because... <laughs> the thing was, though, because this is back in the day, uh-huh. like, there's only so much things you can do when somebody says, turn back time. Right. So, and plus it's a musical, so you... you could turn so you back have time. to... Oh? Share. <laughs> really share? <laughs> so, so there's only so much things you can do when somebody says, can we do that? Can we turn back time? Since A, musical, B... London. London. <laughs> C... You know, at London, back in the, you know, like... the 30s. 30s equals, take it literally. Literally turn back time. Right. Right. So Jane and Michael drive off off in the moving van to the bank to deliver the share certificate. And I love that um, (laughs) Colin Firth sends the minions, sends his two minions down to lock the door. So Jane and Michael decide to fly the kite into his into his office, <laughs> which is a thing. 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Mary Poppins, Jack, and the kids and all the Learys speed their way to Big Ben, where they take all of their ladders, they use to light the lights, and they built this really intricate Donkey Kong as um, stair step. A very perilous, excuse me, is what you should say. <laughs> and Jack climbs it and jumps up to get to Big Ben. Before nearly breaking his neck. And yeah, Annabelle's like, I can't watch. <laughs> And so he's supposed to turn off the lights and then turn back time and turn the lights back on. So he turns the lights off, but he can't reach the light the ends because they're already at the top. And it's funny, Mary Poppins the whole time, she's like, really? They like they, they act like they've never done this before. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to know, so Mary Poppins, you be turning back big, big, just really, willy-nilly? <laughs> and so That's why it's never on time. That's why the Admiral is always like, shit, this yeah, the clock is never on movie, time. He always fires off 15 minutes ahead of time. Well, five minutes ahead of time. And so Mary Poppins flies up out of frustration, and he, she turns the time back five minutes while Jack relights the lamp. I saw somebody complain that this makes the whole thing in effect. She, she, she could have just done it all herself. But number one, she's there to help, not to do. So that's And yeah. number two... He still had to turn up on and off the lights because he is a Leary. That's what he does. So here's the deal, right? <laughs> you need to understand, Mary Poppins doesn't actually do much much in this movie. She's it's supposed not, to help. She's she a, is a nanny. She's a catalyst for things. She's right. not actually the hand that makes things like, um, like come to fruition. It's supposed to be... She's the because, boost that you need. Right, because when you... Because when the children are to look back on it, the idea is that they realize that the the power or the ability to make their to change their lives or to change their own um, destinies. You know, destinies exactly lies within them all the time. They just needed someone to encourage them, a la Mary Poppins, which is exactly what P.L. Travers was trying to say in the books when she was trying to tell Walt Disney's behind when they were making the movie. Because she really hated the whole idea of a spoonful of sugar. She hated that idea. The idea that of sweetening, like, work. is You should learn that work is necessary, but learn to, like, accept that. Or, yeah, the idea that you can... So the idea that you can turn a hard task, a menial task, into something fun, that's not a problem. That's I not a problem. It is the, 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 the issue here is that, you know, it's... She's... She's making it seem like as if it's like easier. She, yeah, it's it's not it's not a, it's not that you made the the thing easier, but you you realize in the end that you need it. Right. You need to do this this thing, you know, because the outcome will be beneficial. Know, exactly. So that's that I think is 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 what she's trying to get at. But unfortunately, right. it turns into hey, let's. Let's, you know, let's turn into like a, a, a whole sequence where it's like actually fun or whatever, whatever. I mean, uh, I mean, to me, so I think I we're wasn't... really offending her is the idea of the kids doing the snap and yeah. like following because, the place. Because the other thing is too, the, the kids, the kids cannot, they, they probably shouldn't is right. be able to perform is... any of the quote unquote magic. Because the other thing too, the, the movie is actually using magic to sort of sort of be an overlay for actually doing something yourself. Right. When the kids look back on this, they won't remember the magic part. They'll remember the fact that right. somehow we were encouraged to do certain things 
by ourselves, right? So when you add when you add the snapping the fingers and all of a sudden all the blocks went into the box, or right. when you snap your fingers and the soldiers go back into the which is a very nice slap. It does, sequence, it but. does, but you're. The idea is that just like in this movie where she makes all the papers go back, the kids have to pick, uh, have to pick them up themselves. <laughs> That's the idea. That's the idea. So Right. And so they succeed in making, like, giving them enough time to get the kite into the office. And they, they assemble, like, the cutout pieces of the certificate. But they're missing the signed piece. Which the which, um, evil Colin Firth is like, you need it. So this is invalid. Which somebody on Twitter pointed out that it's, that it's not. Which the movie accepts as well, if you listen to what Dick Van Dyke says. So all of a sudden, the door opens up and Dick Van Dyke, as Mr. Dawes Jr. shows up. So Colin Firth is his nephew. And he had Mr. Dawes Jr. put away because he was getting old and quote-unquote senile. But he's like, fuck that. Uh, Mary Poppins came and told me that you were out here acting a fool. So you are fired now. Um, and he tells Michael that your shares are fine. You don't need to spend them on this because that topics we stole from you back in 1910. Yeah. Um, your dad invested it for you, and now it's enough money to pay off to pay off your loan. And so Dick Van Dyke gets up on the table and does a little reprise of Triple the Light. Fantastic. Ollie, that man was 92 years old. <laughs> I still I'm it's still him. scratching my head. It's him. There's behind-the-scenes footage of him practicing the dance. Jesus Christ, Brandon. How could they let that man do that, Brandon? He could have died. <laughs> he I'm could sure have died. Had plenty of pads. I don't care. You don't make him do that. He could have... He could have broken something. He... Oh! He is... Oh! He is ancient. He's prehistoric. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, he agreed Jesus. to do it. He worked three days on the movie. They were very nice to him, he says. He did a, he does he does a great job coming in, just you know, being the the deuce the deuce machina or whatever, singing his little song, doing his little dance. And I love that once he was done, he was like, Children, can you help me take my feet down off the desk? Yeah, I was <laughs> see what I mean? I was like, I was like, you see what you did there? You see what you did there? Because the funny thing is in, in the first movie, he plays Bert and he plays Mr. Dawes Sr. Who the, the, the old man who dies at the end of the movie? Because <laughs> he died laughing. And it's funny because he does this whole bit about how he can barely get over like the steps in the bank. Mm. And, it's, and in this movie, he plays, you know, the son. He has the same sort of makeup on. And they still have to give him old age makeup because he looks like he's about 70 and not like he's like 92. Well. Oh yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh, he was like, that man is old, Brad. <laughs> he is ancient. What speaking as well, like, because the thing is, uh, the next scene is, you know, the kids go home, the cherry trees have blossomed, and they see that it's like the um, the spring fair. So they go to the fair and have fun, and at the fair is the balloon lady, another character from the books. She is played by ninety-two-year-old Angela Lansbury. Who, for her part, she gets to sit and lip sync because she's singing the song, but she's still it in the studio. She wasn't doing none of that on the day shit. Oh no. <laughs> so here's the thing that part, as you could probably tell from the movie, was written for Julie Andrews. The idea was that she would show up at the very end and sing a song, which is two problems. Number one, Julie Andrews mm. said, I don't want to do it because I don't want to have Emily Blunt being directly compared to me. And number two, 
Julie Andrews had an operation a couple of years ago, I think in the 90s, and it damaged her vocal cords to where she can't sing anymore like she used to be able to. So if they had cast her, they would have had to float in a singing ghost, and that becomes its own controversy. That is true. And I don't think I don't think her pride would take it. Right. So instead, she decided to be an Aquaman and play a racist sea monster. Okay, first of all, <laughs> first of all, what you will not do. The sea monster was racist, Ali. It called, it called Jason Momoa a uh, mongrel. That's the exact word it used. Verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> finish, finish the movie, Rand. Okay, so Angela Lansbury as the balloon lady sings a song called There's Nowhere to Go But Up. And the idea is that you have, like, you can buy a balloon, but you have to choose the right balloon that is right for you that you see your face in. Not just any old random balloon. She says, choose carefully. And Michael goes first. He's like, well, you know, I haven't held a balloon since I was a child. And she's like, oh, so you've forgotten what it is like. He's like, to hold a balloon? No, to be a child. And so he picks this balloon. That's for all the slow people in the audience. And all of a sudden, he starts to float into the air with the balloon. And as he does, he's like, he starts singing like his verse of uh, Nowhere to Go But Up. He's like, Jane, I remember every impossible thing we did with Mary Poppins. It actually happened. And that's where the tears started. I was done. <laughs> Jesus Christ, bro. And he's like about how he feels like a like a boy with like a little boy with a shiny new toy and how he wants to go feed the birds and go fly a kite. And he's just happy and just for at least for a little while, just happy and free and just everything's gonna be okay just for a little while and so the other the, the kid like the three kids are like we want to go too and so they all get their own balloons and they all fly up into the air as well um and they're like we're zigging and zagging our feet never dragging we might hit you right to the moon Da 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 is all from believing the magic inside the balloon. And pretty soon, like the entire starring cast of this picture is up in the air. They all buy a balloon and fly off. Uh Limel Miranda comes and picks out one for Jane. Or Jack comes and picks out one for Jane. He's like, this one looks like you. And I saw somebody on Twitter say, this is a movie where Limel Miranda tells tells um Emily Mormer, she's she just like a balloon. <laughs> Y'all are stupid. Y'all are ridiculous. Oh my God. But stupid. she does a really good job. Emily Mortimer and uh, Ben Wilshaw, who plays Michael, who's also the voice of Paddington the Bear. It's just too hilarious. And so she flies off, and Jack gets his own balloon and flies off, and the arrow's there. He's like, don't lose her, son! I won't, son! Wow. <laughs> up here in the... It, it just... It's less... And, I, and before long, everybody's up there, except for Colin Firth. His, his, he tries to get a balloon. His balloon don't work. He just flies to the ground. <laughs> and the balloon lady's like, well, nowhere to go but up. Meanwhile, everybody else is up there. Um, the maid is up there. Um, Jack has got a second balloon for his bike, and he's riding his his um, Leary bike in the air. Okay, so everybody has a balloon, and everybody's been here. And the lawyers are in the... Well, the black lawyer has a balloon. The white lawyer is hanging out to him for dear life. Right. <laughs> I'm 
which people meme to hell and back. They did? Yeah. Already? Gay. What happened? They, Gay, you said? Yeah, they were just like, oh, Lord. that means that they're that then that means that they're together. Oh Lord. That's 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 what happens when you when you And everybody's so happy and just and they're singing like a like a Disney chorus of the song. And Mary Poppins, the balloon lady, are sitting and watching. She's like, Well, you know, the adults will all forget by tomorrow. And she's like, they always do. Only one balloon left, Mary Poppins. It must be yours. But she gets it, but she doesn't get to fly it because she told the children that she would um she would stay until the door opens. And what door she doesn't say, but it's the door, the idea that Michael couldn't didn't know how to experience joy and happiness. And he literally says, I thought that door was closed to me forever. And then the door to her house opens up magically, and Mary Poppins is like, it's time. And so she takes her umbrella out and she flies away. And so as she does, like, Nanju, she's like miles away because they flew on the balloons back to the house. And Michael and Jane feel the wind. They're like, she's gone, hasn't she, Michael? He's like, yeah, I think she has. And yep. she's like, goodbye, Mary Poppins. Thank you. And Jack is like, goodbye, Mary Poppins. I won't forget. I promise. And you, the last shot is of um, Emily Blunt flying off into the great blue yonder with her balloon. I mean, with her... Um, um, talking umbrella. With her talking umbrella. And Brandon is is literally like got Kleenex after Kleenex wiping Jesus his eyes. He's just he's bawling. <laughs> Go to church, Brandon. <laughs> All right, I've got to mention. So after Mary Poppins, the first movie comes out, P.L. Travers is livid. She thinks Walt Disney um tricked her, manipulated her, and did her wrong. And so for the rest of her living life, which is 30 more years, she debates between making more money with a Mary Poppins 2 and telling what this need to go fuck himself. And she's back and forth for 30 years, mind you, including in, in the um, 80s when Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg came. They tried to get her to make this movie with the exact same story set up. And I can't imagine P.L. Travers and Jeffrey Kessenberg in the same room together. I would have loved to have been the fly on that wall. But of course, she ended up saying no. And she put in her will that no American studio was ever to adapt any of her books for any motion picture ever again. Meanwhile, the grandkids were like, well, you know, grandma was tripping. Meemaw was doing a lot. Um, how much is that check for? <laughs> yeah. Because they didn't do shit for their lives. So, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much, that's pretty much exactly what's going on. Moral of the story. Don't try to live off your, um, your relative's, um, um, fortune because like, you'll end up um, betraying their trust when you get older yeah betraying their trust you think that's what that's what happened yeah they went against her will her will said uh, you can't adapt any of my my books into into anything you can't adapt the, the, the characters in my books into anything else and they said you know what grandma's grandma she's she's not here you know sh- we will beg for forgiveness um, in heaven. In heaven. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's funny because I saw it in at the, at the movie tavern. Like, um, 
the white lady came over afterwards and said, I love your laugh. And uh, like her family was in the audience with me. I guess I was laughing. You know how I do. You guess you were laughing? <laughs> okay. So we were watching the credits and I pointed out that it, the, they named the three the three people who are um, who run the P.L. Trevor's Trust now. Traders. And so I was like, so those are the grandkids who snitched. And I explained to her what happened that, you know, P.L. Trevor's put in her will. You can't, you can't make this. And she was like, but it was so good. I was like, it was. You could have to forgive them in heaven. <laughs> Or Nirvana, I don't know where Buddhist people go. Wherever, wherever the next life, she gotta, she gonna have to forgive them. But yeah, so that's Mary Poppins Returns and Mary Poppins the original. Okay. Now, do you think Emily Blunt has a chance of winning the Oscar for Best Actress? Like no. You're trying to put. Oh. <laughs> you said that fast. No, that's not not from a Mary Poppins um, um, performance. Well, I mean, well, uh, Julie Andrews won at the time, and, she, and the funny thing was, she beat out Audrey Hepburn for My Fair Lady, and she shaded the fuck out of Warner Brothers and Audrey Hepburn at when she got her Oscar okay. on the stage, on TV. All right. <laughs> But there are way more movies than before. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of things that you haven't seen in theaters. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen theaters that can, can that that'll easily top this. Like that like, <laughs> like I've listened to several movie podcasts where they, they talk about the other stuff. And I I truly want to see some of these other movies that people keep on talking about. Um because, you know. It's good to get a wide variety to right. understand what's going on. So, yeah, that's from what I heard. Like, no, that's that's not even. It's fun for what it is, and I think Emily Blunt should be very proud of herself for what she did because I I have no problem with her version of Mary Poppins. And at the all. thing is, she's following up an Oscar-winning performance from a movie that. Even if people don't remember it, they remember loving um, Julie Andrews. It's right. her iconic role. Yeah. So so yeah, they they shouldn't be Yeah, she shouldn't she shouldn't be upset if she does not win. She did an excellent excellent job. Nobody has nobody can say, "Oh, well, you know, you did you did Julie Andrews wrong, whatever." I don't think that at all. So Right. All right. Editing I did. All right, so now it's time for our Say Something Nice challenge. And I am joined by Greg. Hey. Hey, guys. Yeah, because Ali abandoned me. (laughs) You hear that? Terrible person, you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Eat your food, Scarlet. But yes. Okay. so go ahead. Yeah, so um so our challenge today um the focus for our challenge today is Christian Keys. Um for our handful of white listeners out there, you're like, who is Christian Keys? Cuz I'm certain you've never seen shit he's ever been in until perhaps now. So Christian Keys is a what um <laughs> Janet Hubert would call a black tour. A black tour. Yeah, he only oh. generally appears in black things. 
So wait, what is Saint and Sinners? Saints and Sinners is a black uh, soap opera? Black, Saints and Sinners is a black soap opera that appears on Bounce TV. Are you serious? Yeah, that's on Bounce TV. You don't, you don't have Bounce TV? Yeah, I do, I think. You should, because it's broadcast. I think it's a cable. Yeah, I think it's on cable, but I don't. I hardly watch it. Um, I watch Aspire only for the cooking show. Lord. But I don't, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's not that I don't want to watch a black network. It's just I haven't had. Um, they don't show anything watch. you watch. All right, so yeah. Christian Keys has been known for appearing in like a lot of super black, blacky black stuff, including Tyler Perry plays and David Talbert plays and the movies they make from those. And a lot of Netflix black movies where he appears with Stacey Dash and Jason Weaver and people, you know, like all like the black actors. A lot of C and D list actors. Well, I don't really, I think Jason Weaver is an awesome. You know it's going to pick up on the microphone. Fuck you. <laughs> but yeah, so Christian Keys is currently, as of a couple of months ago, I guess, appearing on the CW program Legends of Tomorrow. Now, Greg, I know you don't watch this shit, because I know you. So Legends, Legends of Tomorrow? Legends of Tomorrow is a show adapted from DC Comics. Mm-hmm. It's about sort of a grab bag of DC superheroes who are on a time-traveling ship who solve crimes and basically fight supervillains across time and sort of kind of space, but mostly time. Like, they go back to, like, King Arthur time or the prehistoric time or the Wild West and stuff. And they've got to find clues to stuff and fight bad guys who've been sort of kind of spread across the um, time continuum, more or less. It's a very sort of kind of geeky show that is sort of kind of campy in its own right and sort of kind of does its own thing. You wouldn't recognize any of the heroes who are on it. There's somebody who doesn't really know that sort of thing, but basically, just suffice it to say, it's a really it's a it's, it's some shit that would, that Brandon watches. Except he hasn't watched it this current season. He hasn't gotten around to it yet. Too much shit has been on. Um, so in this current season, they have a character called John Constantine as a new um, series regular. He is played by the same guy who played him on the Constantine TV show from 2014. The one that got canceled, yes, person who's not on the podcast right now. The one that got canceled. Uh, Matt Ryan plays him. And Christian Keyes plays Matt, plays Constantine's boyfriend, Desmond, on the program. Because Constantine is bisexual. This is on this Legends of Tomorrow. This is on Legends of Tomorrow, yes. The, the Greg Berlanti CW DC comic shows are kind of known for being very much like LGBTQ friendly. Like, each mm-hmm. show generally has at least one character who is somewhere on the spectrum. And they're trying to get a Batwoman show on the air next year. Batwoman is a lesbian. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so Christian Keys is uh, playing a gay man on this show that is popular within a certain sort of, like, audience who doesn't generally get to see gay black male characters on shows like this. Like, Keenan Lonsdale was on Legends of Tomorrow. He was also on The Flash playing Kid Flash, the sidekick to The Flash. But his character was straight, although Keenan is not straight at all. Have you seen his Instagram and stuff? Greg, are you familiar with Keenan Lonsdale? 
Oh yeah, I, I'm. I, I follow him on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> All right. That's definitely more of a yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, to be totally fair, I follow him more based off of Love Simon. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Love yeah. Simon's directed by Greg Berlanti, so yeah, that's how you got that part. Right. Yeah. But I, I don't. I he, in the end, you say he's on Flash. Right. He used to be on the Flash. He quit. The all of the DC shows because he wanted to do what he's currently doing. <laughs> what being on being on RuPaul's Drag Race? Yeah, well, that and and doing his music. Music? Yeah, he does music. You follow him on Instagram, right? He does music. I heard some song, but I don't think I've ever actually. They, he don't post clips of his singles. Well, he has, yeah. Well, Instagram has like a like a limit on that stuff. Go to his YouTube. He has videos and shit out. I had to go back and look. Yeah. yeah. I, okay. But yeah, so Christian Key sort of kind of took his place as the, well, frankly, the token black male on the program. Okay. Um, and he's playing a gay black male on the program. And so Christian apparently went to his, apparently um, um, men who like men have been sliding into his DMs, sending yeah. eggplant emojis and... Um, W-Y-D texts. And Christian um, was a little, you know, offended by that. This is what he had to say. This is quoting because it was like a video. I'm quoting. I got nothing but love for all other brothers and sisters in the gay community, period. It ain't my business. That's between you, who you love, and God. Mistake number one. Gentlemen, let's not be in the comment section with the airplane emojis and, you know, the sexual comments. I'm not a fan of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Call that one a draw. I appreciate you supporting my work, but let's not be in the DMs telling me, hey, sexy, what's up? What's good? Mm-hmm. You know... <laughs> oh, Jesus. <clears throat> okay, first of all, let's let's put this on the table. It is disrespectful for gay dudes to be hitting on somebody that they feel, you know, just to be hitting on a straight dude. But True. he play he plays gay characters, and so when you play gay characters, you, you automatically get from gay. But it's this thing that's going to happen, and the thing is that you have to be media trained to how to respond to it. In a way that I am straight, but you don't offend the gay audience in your response. Just by example, okay? Jordan Buhat. Are you familiar with him? Not at all. Thought you were gonna say Jason Atwood. Jason Atwood. Jason Atwood from Noah's Ark. Oh, of course. Oh my God. That's a good example, too. Jason Atwood from Noah's Ark. Right. I think he's straight, right? He is definitely straight. Okay, uh, Jordan Buhat, as of yet, the verdict hasn't really come down whether what side he plays on. He's uh, the young guy that plays Vivek in Gronish. Oh wait, and wait that I, so I must I'm not, I must be behind him. Is that character gay? No, the he's not gay in the show, but he's really hot. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a good looking you know, kid. But he is a kid. I don't know how old he is, but like 20, something like that. He looks he looks way too young for me to be involved with. He's 25 or something like that. He's he's definitely not 17, 18. So he's I'm not. He's played 17, 18, so I mean. Mm-hmm. 
Probably. Well, actually, play, he's playing 18, 19 because he's in college, first year, second year. So for whatever that's worth. Right. But perfect example is that, like, you know, I see posts. I like posts by him. And I like him major- for the majority of reason because of how he looks. But at the same time, you know, he doesn't seem to, he gets a lot of flirts. I look at all the comments on all his Instagram posts and it's a whole bunch of dudes offering him straight up dick. They are like straight up. And I'm like, I'm just reading this shit. Like, and he ain't really, he just kind of, he's scurving right around and he ain't saying nothing to him. He ain't going at nobody talking about, yeah, don't offer me dick, you know, or don't, don't give me eggplant emojis, motherfucker. He ain't doing all that. And this Christian Keys guy is just, he's doing the most. <laughs> I, I guess it follows that whole rule we've always been told about thou who protestest much. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say you that. You know, like, it's like... But you, I felt like it was too easy of a joke or even a comment to make they doth protest too much. That yeah. being said, I've always suspected that maybe Christian he's allegedly possibly the straightest person in the world. However, come, I don't know anything about that in actuality, so... We don't actually know. We don't we actually, don't know. actually don't know. Don't actually <laughs> really care, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's not bad looking. I've but seen him... I, I just don't... Oh. Him in particular, like, from what I've seen of him in a non-acting setting, don't care. <laughs> mm, okay, that's fair. Like I said, he's not ugly. Um, no, he's not ugly. It, he's, he's an attractive man. But at the same time, it's like, if you if you have to make those type of announcements that you don't like these comments, this grandstanding of it, it really shows that you just really want to control the hollers in it, a way. A, it, it seems like an insecurity more than anything else. Because you could say the exact same thing in a way that has a little bit more decorum to it. There's it a, yeah, sound like... There's a better way to, to right. say what he's saying, and oh, it's between you, who you, whoever else it is, and God, which is sort of kind of like that's what I call the the like the um the homophobes compromise. The whole thing mm-hmm. of it's between you, whoever you love, and God. Except for when I go out to a restaurant or to the park or whatever like that, and I want to hold <laughs> my my partner or boyfriend whatever's hand, and then it becomes an issue. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, in this same article, they he mentions or it's mentioned that he, he turned his comments issues, off. He had issues with people about witchcraft. Oh, um, oh no! Now you're going this too is a far. whole Christian thing, perhaps. No, maybe, God, I maybe hope this not. is the blood of Jesus that he needs draped over his uh, quote, Instagram. Quote page. unquote. Quote unquote. Oh no! You're now you're going too far. Hashtag too damn far. Practice your witchcraft on your page. We don't cast spells over here. Is this a real-life episode of Hashtag Supernatural or Hashtag Legends? Hashtag WTF. You can have a tall glass of this block butt. But that's... Because oh, 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 the thing is, John Constantine, the character who he's the boy, who's playing the boyfriend of, is a warlock. He casts... Mm-hmm. He's like a high-level warlock. He casts a bunch of spells and stuff. So... That's the other thing that's probably will follow. People who are actually are into Wiccan religions and things like that, they're probably going to come on his page and say that sort of stuff because Constantine is that sort of a character. Mm-hmm. 
Ali has shown me a picture of Constantine and Christian Keys on the program Kissing. Does it look authentic? Let me see it again. On a scale of um um was the was the man who was kissing on um chance in uh, Noah's Ark, the one who you could tell looked like he was about to throw up every time he kissed him. To wait. Ooh, wait, hold on. Whoa, whoa. To, to like something you see to, to like, I don't know, broke back mountain. It's somewhere in the middle. It's like Wait, back up. You talking about Chance and Noah's Ark and somebody can't wait. So there was an actor, I forgot his name. Like, <coughs> some D money, something like that. The character's name, whatever like that. You, oh, you mean Katero? Yeah, Katero. Yes, that's the actor's name. That man looked like he was about to ch- throw chunks when he had to kiss Chance in that show. <laughs> really? I didn't, know, I didn't catch that. Watch it again. He looked like he was about to, You could tell that man was straight. He looked like he was about to pass out from terror. Try to kiss Chance. <laughs> so that means Katero really is straight then. Straight at... It, that okay. has to be the straightest man they've ever cast to play a gay part in the history of television. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, sir. That would be Raz B. <laughs> <laughs> I Hello. ain't cheat this time of anything, all these random those art jokes. But yeah, Christian Keys, girl, sit down, please. You're doing too much. And mm-hmm. and the thing is this. It's real easy to get fired from a goddamn Greg Berlanti program. It's real yeah. easy to get kicked off of Legends of Tomorrow. Because I think, between you and me, I think they're going to kick off everybody into this season because them ratings are <laughs> right now. Um, oh, you talking about for Black Lightning? No, for Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, I, I have It's getting on. lower ratings than Black Lightning. And Black Lightning is on. Lower the- ratings than Black Lightning? Yeah, Legends of Mars is one of the lowest rated shows on broadcast television right now. Mm. It's falling off like a loose Halloween mask. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I, saw that, I saw that joke from Johnny Mac with the Fox, so I'll be honest. Oh, my God. <laughs> loose Halloween mask. But yeah, but just overall, just this whole, he, he's... He's protesting a little bit too much. Yeah, he is. He's doing a it lot. It looks... He's doing And the, the thing ball. is, he, he probably is super straight and just fucking insecure like a lot of straight guys are. You really think that's it? I mean, that's, that, that is the most logical and obvious thing that's happening here. He's an attractive straight guy. He's very insecure. He's probably been hit on by men his entire adult life. Because, you, you know, especially, like, to... Dip into controversial territory. You know how the people are about light skinned pretty boys. They think they're all gay. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But you know what? I, I think I think for me, and, and maybe this doesn't sound exactly fair. Sometimes it's nice to be able to switch the roles on some of these people who think it can't happen to them. Or you talk about men who hit on women and then they get hit like, like this is how it feels to be hit upon. Yeah, because I often I do it. I do it, you know, to try to um, upset those men who are jerks towards women, because you know they 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 use that male influence and exert it and to you know be rude to women, like oh I can control and say whatever. But then when it's done to them, they don't like it. Right. I mean, that's like that's one of like the biggest examples of hypocrisy that you can generally find and. Society. It's just it's it's truly disgusting. Yeah, like I said, it, it is overall disgusting to me. I don't like it. Um, and 
like I said, I I like I said, I've done it for that very reason. But you and be honest, you should not do that. <laughs> I will I will if I can police you as well. Don't do that shit. <laughs> no, no. Mm-mm. I like I said, I don't do it for. <laughs> No means no, Grant, because it does. It never comes off the way that you think it's coming off. Okay, I will tell you that on the air. Is please don't. That's that's cool. I respect (laughs) that. Like I said, I don't do it to be actually really. I know why you're doing it, but let me tell you, it does not come off that way. It just comes off as you looking like like you know like a little bit, little bit creepy. Yeah. Well, maybe I need to find a way to make it work the other way because I don't know. It, it, like I said, it, it's... it would only ever work if you literally said, "See how it feels in brackets after you do it," and and, and sort of kind of and, and but it doesn't work in general. And also, I'm kind of person. I always have like secondhand embarrassment, and also I'm very. If you tell me that I'm. It, you're attracted to me, whatever like that. I'm the kind of person that's like, damn, I don't believe it. And I sort of kind of shrink and stuff. And that's that's just that's me problems. So, but like, I don't know. Well, maybe I should start putting that little disclaimer after it. See how it feels. Lord Jesus. I guess. All right. So do you want to be in this program or not? <laughs> yeah, that's him. <laughs> and his very large tattoo. Okay. Yes. So, um, Ali. Um, all right. So, yes. Thank you, guys, for listening. Uh, you, as usual, you can find our show at ssnpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, TuneIn, all social media, SSN Podcast. This has been the Say Something Nice Podcast. I am Brandon. This is Ali. And um, I always remember there's nowhere to go but up. There you go. Bye.